Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. If you are ever stuck and don't know what, how to do what it is you need to do, then the internet is your go-to place. Uh, the internet is full of how-to guides. If you go to YouTube and you just write the words how-to into the search bar, it'll come up with a whole list of things that it suggests that you might want to know how to do. That is, these are the things that most people are asking YouTube how to do. So, how to draw is at the top. How to tie a tie, number two. How to basic is number three. I don't even know what that is, and I decided it it probably wasn't a thing I should Google. Uh, How to solve a Rubik's Cube. How to make slime. How to cake it. People ask how to cake it. I need to ask, what is caking it? Uh, How to whistle with your fingers. How to build a house in Minecraft. How to curl your hair with a straightener. How to draw a unicorn. A lot of people want to know how to draw a unicorn. Uh, In your own life, you'll know that that, that there's this difference, isn't there, between knowing that you need to do something and actually knowing how to do it. You might know that you need to build your house, but you don't actually know how to do it. You don't know how to make plans. You don't know then how to implement those plans. You don't actually know how to hammer or saw uh, or do the other things that you have to do when you build a house. You can see uh, that I'm uh, well and truly in that camp. But I tell you what, YouTube could help. I reckon you could build a house based off YouTube how-to videos. What about us as Christians? We know as we've been working our way through this series, that we believe that Jesus Christ is head of the church. We believe that he has sent us to make disciples. That's like the what to do. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples. But how do we do it? Well, that's what our third conviction is about, that we actually have a a set of convictions about how it is we're to go about making disciples. And and that's not so specific as to uh, disallow for cultural differences or uh, different ways of engaging people but we have this kind of principles of how it is that disciples are made by word prayer and service this is what we believe is the how-to of the disciple making task that the lord jesus christ has given to us as his church One of the best places where we can go to see how the, the first disciples, the apostles, who followed around and were taught by Jesus for three years and witnessed his death and resurrection, uh, as we see how they put into practice the disciple-making tasks with which Jesus left them, we're able to discern from the way they did things how these principles exist and therefore how we can start thinking about applying them to our own lives. And of course we see what the disciples did in the book of Acts. We had two readings from Acts today that are illustrative 
of the apostles implementing their disciple-making task. First, we read in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, about the kind of church that had gathered uh, around the disciples that was growing. And what do we read about them? Verses 42 of chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we actually see, don't we, that in that little sentence and in the description in that little uh, paragraph, we see the, uh, the, these principles of disciple-making present. Word, service first, and prayer. Let's take a look. Firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, to the word of God. The church was committed to learning more about their faith. And as they rightly needed to be. Because for many of the early church, right, they're literally like they hear Peter say, you know, the Messiah uh, has come, he's died, he's risen so that you can be saved. And 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. That's a disciple-making task right there. Here are these people who want to learn more. What does this mean for us? How do we apply it to our lives? How do we now live with this new reality? And so the apostles taught them how to live. How does that apply to us? Well, we're apostleless. That is, the apostles have long since died. But of course, we still have their teaching. The New Testament, full of the teaching of the apostles. And so we're called to devote ourselves to that, to the teaching of the apostles. And they taught from the Old Testament as well, the Old and New Testaments, the Scriptures, the Word of God, as we seek to learn and grow as disciples and as we seek to call others into the faith. We need to be helping them too to see and experience the power of the Word of God. As John Stott reflects on uh, this, he says, the Spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to the New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. This is the way that disciples are made, that disciples are grown, through a Spirit-inspired and a Spirit-led submission to the Word of God and a keenness to grow in our understanding of it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word. Next we see, to fellowship and to fellowship. Now we're not talking about cups of teas and potluck dinners when we're talking about fellowship here. What we're talking about here is actually this deep commitment of the church to one another. This fellowship that we have with each other and with God because of our faith in him. Uh, When the Apostle John speaks of fellowship in his letter in 1 John, he says this, uh, 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The idea of fellowship is that because of our faith in Christ, We not only share a a unity with him through faith, but a a deep unity with each other as well. No doubt you've experienced some of that 
in your own Christian life. It astounds me that I can go to somewhere like Cambodia, where I've been a couple of times to do some ministry, and I can meet people who I have literally nothing in common with, who live a kind of life I can't even imagine, who speak hardly a word of English, and yet we have this deep fellowship, this deep sense of commitment to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And and we know that we're on the same page about the Lord Jesus. It's an astounding kind of thing to experience that kind of sense of unity that you can have with someone who you barely know. I'm sure uh, you've had that similar experience. You go somewhere else, you go on a holiday, you visit a random church, and, and there's a sense of, yeah, these are my people. The deep fellowship we share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But fellowship's not just about that. It's about what that deep bond uh, motivates us into. And so fellowship is actually closely related to generosity. That is, that's what's supposed to happen when we share fellowship with one another. We're meant to be generous, and our generosity is meant to bubble out of us and affect others too. Let me uh, give you a little lesson in Greek, and let me tell you, this is not the expert teaching the, uh, um, the unwashed or something. This is, this is my poor attempt at Greek for you all today, but it, it was so interesting nonetheless that I thought it was worth sharing. The word for fellowship is the word koinonia, koinonia. I think you can see it there. Uh, And that comes from the Greek word koinos, which means common. And so that's the word that expresses what we've been talking about, this fellowship that we share in in God and uh, with one another. But also, uh, it is the word that the Apostle Paul used when he spoke of the collection that he was organising in the Greek churches for the Jewish church that was undergoing a great persecution. He called it their fellowship offering. That is, because of their shared fellowship, they were to be generous to their brothers and sisters in need. And actually, we see that the word generous is connected to the word for fellowship. It's got that same kind of root word. So the word koinonikos uh, is the word for Generous, which comes from that same word. Fellowship and generosity are intimately linked. They're part, I think, of the same idea. And forget my uh, pretty bad Greek lesson. Just take a look at how it works in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 44 and 45, we see, don't we, radical generosity to one another based on their fellowship. They sell things to give to others in need. There's a sense of uh, seeking the good of the other, of being radically generous with their possessions. Now, obviously, some of them still have homes because there's, they're, they're meaning in their homes. So it's interesting to think about what do they actually mean when they say they sold everything. But what I think we can definitely take away is a spirit of radical generosity. 
And actually, this makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you think about what Jesus said, he said that we need to love God and love our neighbour. That actually, as we live out our fellowship with one another and as we express that in generosity, this is what it is to love, to love our neighbours, to do what Jesus said. But also we know that Jesus defines our neighbour not just as this gathering of people here today, but as the Samaritan, the enemy, those outside the walls of the church too. We are called to generous acts of service, not just to each other, though we must do that, but also to our neighbours, those who God has called us to reach. And actually, the early church must have been doing that because I think this word, prayer and service thing they've got going is part of the reason why at the end of Acts chapter 2, in verse 47, they can talk about the word of God spreading and the church growing because they're doing these three things, being devoted to the word, being generous in their acts of service and being devoted to prayer. And speaking of prayer, we see that next, don't we, in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. As a church... We are called to make disciples as a church at worship. As a church, uh, we see the early church who was constantly at worship in the temple courts and in their homes. They did, it would seem, large gatherings and smaller ones. And in their worship, they expressed their fellowship through the through generosity and through the sharing of a meal, through the sharing of the Lord's Supper within that meal. But above all, they did so at prayer. They were constantly at prayer. You read the book of Acts, you can't help but be struck by the prayerfulness of the life of the early church. And you can't help but be struck by the amazing things that happen as and while they're praying. Prayer was central to everything. And so we too are called to this life devoted to prayer. And if you want some help on that, I can commend to you Praying Life by Paul Miller, a book, or Prayer by Tim Keller, two great books, both on what prayer is about but also how to do it. Well, as the early church devoted itself to these things, to word, prayer and service, we see the fruit Forty-seven of uh, verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. Praising God and enjoying the favour of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Word, prayer and service was the, the way in which the early church went about its disciple-making task because that's the way Jesus wants us to go about the disciple-making task. Word, prayer and service. Not convinced? Look, it comes up again in Acts chapter 6, our second reading. There we see there's a problem with the fellowship. uh, The service side of the church. The Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews uh, are complaining because 
uh, people are being overlooked in the service of food. It's a big problem. because The church is meant to be an expression of shared fellowship, not divided along racial lines. No division among any of God's people. But here we have people starting to be overlooked. And it would seem it's because there's simply not enough hands to the plough. There's not enough people doing the jobs that need to be done. And so this area of the church's life, of its disciple-making life, has fallen off the wheel. It's acts of service to each other and to the wider community. And so it's a problem. It's a big problem. But the biggest problem is that to fix it, it would require at this stage the apostles to take their eyes off the other two important jobs, word and prayer. So verse 2, the 12 gathered all the disciples together who've told them about this problem and they say, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And in verse 4, we see again, their ministry is to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles need to keep those things front and centre, but they're also deeply concerned about acts of service. And so what do they do? They raise up and train new godly leaders, which is actually our fourth conviction, isn't it? Supported by fruitful godly leaders, which we'll talk about next week. But they do this in order to keep the main things, of the, main things the disciple-making task of word, prayer and service going. They choose seven men, who are full of the Spirit to continue the work of serving the church so that they can continue the work they've been gifted in, in teaching and praying. Word, prayer and service. And what happens when they do this, they get the leaders and they get everything kind of back in balance? Verse 7, the Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As they get these things right, as they get the tools of disciple-making, the practice of disciple-making right, the church grows. On these two occasions in the book of Acts, but I think as you read the, the, the the whole thing, we see word, prayer and service be the tools which God uses to grow the church, both as individual Christians, but also numerically. As the church devotes itself to prayer, as it rejoices in the humble service of both its members and its neighbours, And as it seeks to focus on the preaching and proclaiming and growing in knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the church grows, the kingdom expands. Word, prayer and service in action. I hope you're convinced that these are indeed the tools required for us as we seek to make disciples. They are our how-to. But how do we do our how-to? I think we have work to do as a church to think about this. But let me just uh, suggest a few ways forward. Firstly, 
how can we make disciples by word? I hope that many of you uh, have a deep commitment to the personal reading of the scriptures because in that you will find your knowledge and love of God grows and your Christ-like character grows. And if you want to get better at it, come and speak to me. I can suggest different readings you can use. I can suggest apps on your phone you can use. Uh, I can help you if you want to have some questions to ask of the scriptures you're reading, uh, whatever it might be. If we want to be a church that's going to make disciples, we need to first start with our own lives and our own discipleship. And to me, it would seem that the word of God is the place for us to go. It's through that God will work in our hearts through his spirit. But let's not just stop as individually as individuals, because, of course, we've seen we have a fellowship. The preaching of the word every Sunday that's why I spend so long up here uh, telling you what the Bible says, because the word of God is powerful to make disciples. Our small group Bible studies, we've got two going. Uh, they're, they're getting more numbers by the week. Maybe we'll need to start more. I'd love to have, to have, I'd love to have 20 Bible studies uh, with people so keen to get together and open God's word and try and figure out what it means and apply it to their lives. Maybe you need to join a Bible study. What about one-on-one reading with a friend? That's something else you could do. I'm sure you often get together for a tea or a coffee with a Christian. Why not add the Bible to that gathering? It doesn't have to be a long thing or an awkward thing. You could just say, hey, let's just read through one of the New Testament letters. Five, ten verses at a time, a whole chapter, whatever. Fill your boots, as they say. And just talk about what it means, what you're going to do as as a result of what you've read today. And check up next time you go for coffee. Uh, If we're people who really believe that the word of God makes disciples, let's get it into everything. And see what happens. Maybe you want to go deeper in your knowledge. Things like the Ridley or Moore College Theological Certificate are things you can do kind of at your own speed in your own time that help you grow your understanding of the Bible and how it fits together. I can, you can talk to me about how you sign up for them. They've got a cost, but investing in your own Christian life is a great thing to do. And if you're just going, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 I'm all over all of this, Chris. Well, that is great. Train someone who isn't. Find someone who you think might be struggling or who's right now sitting in there kind of squirming awkwardly because they think they need to do something but they don't know what they should do and say, hey, do you want me to read the Bible with you? Train them. Do you want me to come to small group with you? Let me help. We can make disciples by word. By prayer. I think this is probably the one where we have the most work to do as a parish. And I'm hoping and praying that that prayer in this parish is going to continue to bubble up. Because the thing is, no matter how good we are at our strategy, no matter how much we believe in these convictions, no matter how many resources we deploy, it's only God 
who will change hearts. It's only God who will bring growth. And he asks us to be unceasing in our prayer for him to do that. When we pray, God answers our prayers. I don't fully understand how that actually works. I don't understand why it is that when I pray, God does stuff. And when I don't pray, things don't happen as much. But that's how it seems to be in my life. That seems to be what God calls us to do in the scriptures, to ask him for stuff. When we pray, God goes to work. Billy Graham once said that heaven is full of unasked prayers. And I think that's a great saying. Let's ask God to go to work. So I've got work to do in this area. But if you are someone who is gifted at this, who loves to pray, then let me encourage you to go for it. Don't wait for me. Just go for it. If you want to start a prayer meeting in this building or in that building, go for it. The wardens will give you a key and you can unlock the church and you can pray. I'm certain they will not say, what's that for? Oh, a prayer meeting. No, thank you. Go for it. Let's just be a people who pray. Let's be known for being a church that prays because it's by prayer that the Lord makes disciples. And finally, service. We need to be committed to this too. And if you read the annual reports, which some of you have already done, but which most of you will do as soon as you get home, I'm sure, over lunch. It's great to read in those about how our church has been going at serving one another, at helping those who have needed help with meals, at visiting those who have needed visiting when they're sick. And we need to keep doing more of this. I love the way our church serves the community with things like the playgroup and the mums that we're able to meet and some who are struggling that we serve through that. Or our welfare fund, or these baskets here where we put food and take it to the Salvation Army to help people who are struggling. These are good things that God is calling us to do more of as our generosity overflows. Let me ask, what is it that God is calling you and perhaps us as a church to do next in this area? Who is he placing a burden on your heart for? Let me tell you something that's going on in this area uh, in my life. The uh, ministers in Clarence get together. There's a flyover for the Battle of Britain. The ministers in Clarence get together a couple of weeks ago. Got together a couple of weeks ago. We get together every month. uh, And we think about things that we can do together. And one of the conversations we've started to have has been about how do we help people who are struggling with uh, homelessness in Hobart and particularly in Clarence on this side of the river. And we've just started to think and to pray about what a collective response as the churches of Clarence might look like to that issue, which is an issue that the council is also trying to get grapple with and is actually seeking our help and input into. There's an opportunity there for us to be known as a people of generous service. 
Likewise, the city of Clarence every year runs this thing called Neighbour Day where it seeks to encourage the mixing of neighbourhoods, the getting to know of our neighbours to reduce isolation, which is a massive problem in our ever-connected world. We are becoming more disconnected. We don't know our neighbours. And so, as the ministers of Clarence, we're thinking about how do we get on board with Neighbour Day to show our love to those whom we live with. God is on the move as we seek to think about how we make disciples by word, prayer and service. I don't know what it is specifically that he's calling you to do. But each of us is a disciple maker. And each of us needs to make disciples under God's hand and with his strengthening and empowerment by his spirit through word, prayer and service. I pray that as we put our hand to these tools we might see a similar kind of thing that the early church saw. The gospel expand. Let's pray. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.